Welcome to The Activist Files, the Center for Constitutional Rights podcast, where we feature the stories of activists, lawyers, and storytellers on the front lines fighting for justice and liberation. If you want to know more about the Center for Constitutional Rights and our work, visit our website at ccrjustice.org. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, Frontlines of Justice, and we'll keep you up to date on important developments and exciting events near you or online. You can also make a donation to help us keep doing the vital work of supporting our partners, movements, and communities. As always, don't forget to subscribe to The Activist Files and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome to The Activist Files. My name is Ian Head. I'm a senior legal worker at the Center for Constitutional Rights. I'm also one of the co-editors of the Jailhouse Lawyers Handbook. The theme of this episode is going to be jailhouse lawyers, as well as talking about the new uh, edition of the handbook. And so before I get into the different conversations, I'll just run through uh, who I'll be talking to on this episode. First, I'll be talking to Brian Glick, uh, who's one of the original authors of the handbook back in 1973. Then I'll be talking to Jennifer Benino, um, who is someone who works with the organization Jailhouse Lawyers, the prisoner. Uh, as well as Lisa J- about jailhouse lawyers from the clinic in 2000 and has directed it since then. Before founding the clinic and teaching at Fordham, Professor Glick has written a number of articles and publications, and one of those publications many years ago uh, was the Jailhouse Lawyers Manual, which was put together by Professor Glick and a number of others, and is something that is very near and dear to myself now because I am a co-editor of the current Jailhouse Lawyers Handbook, which is kind of the, the current manifestation of the Jailhouse Lawyers Manual. And so I've always wanted to, to meet and talk to you about how this came together originally, get put together, what were the ideas around it, who else was working on it, if you can take us back to 1973. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, So this was a project. I was part of a group called the Prison Law Collective, which kind of grew out of a more mainstream prison law group called the Prison Law Project. Uh, We were more connected with the Guild and with uh, the beginnings of prisoner rights movements. Some lawyers who uh, did both some prison condition class actions and some work with different individual prisoners and um, a writer named Eve Pell did a book about one of the early prison struggles at Soledad prison and some other good writing, some other people, so half a dozen of us. The funding stayed with the mainstream group mainly. So we kind of uh, patched this together and this kind of emerged as a useful uh, project for, for more activist prisoners. Uh, the, the initial book was more focused on one major approach that we were, you know, at that point, which was to use the federal civil rights law, the, particularly Section 1983, to bring uh, lawsuits about prison conditions. I, I was very interested. I had, I had worked before that as a lawyer for the welfare rights movement when there was welfare in the late 60s. And I'm, I've always been very, very interested in and committed to writing about law for non-lawyers to demystify it and make it uh, accessible and useful. And so I I had been doing uh, welfare rights handbooks in the late 60s. And this was, as I got involved in prison work, I moved to San Francisco Bay Area was, uh, I arrived just around the same time that George Jackson was murdered. And there was a lot of 
eventually Angela Davis went on trial out there and there was a, a lot of attention. We did a big teaching at the UC Berkeley about prison movement and prisoners' rights. And this was a, a part of that. It wasn't some separate project. It was really a part of all that. It's, uh, I was thinking back about the process and, you know, this was a, a pre-computer age. And we had, um, we did this in such a way that feels just so clunky and archaic now. We, um, we composed, I composed it with help from some people in Prison Law Collective, a lot from a, one particular progressive student at uh, UC Berkeley Law School at that point. And then uh, we found a sort of small progressive typesetting place and they typeset it for us at a discount. They were called Archetype. And then we got somebody's place to work in and a few of us, not me so much because I don't have these skills, but a couple of friends of mine laid it all out. He had a, you know, they printed on something called a web press and had a, had a multiples of eight, better multiples of 16. So we had 48, the reason it was 48 pages is because we had to do multiples of 16 and that's what we could afford. So it took many days to lay it out very carefully. And we wanted cartoons and we wanted boxes. We wanted a nice layout that people could use, not just some, like some damn law treatise that, you know, yeah. nobody would, <laughs> after a couple of minutes, they'd say, oh, screw this. Uh, and then we took it to the press. We just, you know, paid for what copies we could at that point and distributed it through our networks, through other prison um, activists and legal organizations, a lot through the Lawyers Guild. I, I knew that, you know, we were very happy to have other people pick it up and uh, then lost track of it and then found a fourth or fifth edition was coming out of the Guild and CCR from you and Rachel Meerpole and other folks. It's great to give birth to something and then have it grow into the world. And uh, I saw your 12th edition or so, and it seemed like it encompassed all of what we did and lots, lots more, both updating, but also the whole scope is, uh, is more helpful and more stuff. So uh, thank you. Thank you, uh, the you individual and the you collective for um, carrying this forward. Yeah, no, it's been an honor. I mean, we really... We really, we were trying to keep that original spirit of this is a free resource. We send it out, you know, to anyone who requests it. We've add, definitely added to it, but we're trying to keep it at that postage weight that we can afford to send it out. And it, <laughs> All right. You know, and it's easily available within and people can pass it around inside and still, and, and it still has some, a couple of little cartoons in it and is written hopefully in a way that isn't some kind of, like you said, legal treaty. Um, and instead is, is easy to, to follow. It's so funny. I, 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 that's so great. I wanted to know how you guys put it together because when I got a hold of it in 2002, I think, I actually retyped the entire thing because all we had was a Xerox copy of it. So I had to retype wow. the entire thing onto a, onto Word so, um, before we could edit it. Thank you. That's great. I'm so glad that people picked up on it and, uh, and that it's, the point of it is to be used, right? And it seems yeah. like it's really getting out there and being helpful. Anything else about those those early days of, of how it was sent around or who else might have been involved? You know, I, I still, I got a letter from uh, someone in prison a few years ago that said they had an original copy. They had sadly been in prison that long, but they had uh, the, the first copy and they wanted to, uh, they wanted to let me know. 
I was thinking about how we did the distribution, which is obviously really key. And I don't, I don't remember very well. I think it was a lot through the Lawyers Guild. Mm -hmm. And in California, we, I was, this was done in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. Um, and in California, we had a lot of prison contacts and there was an active prison movement and movement of former prisoners and so on. And so there's a lot of networks to get it through. But nationally, I, I'm, I guess it was probably mainly through the Guild. Okay. Did uh, folks, like actual jail lawyers inside, were they reviewing it when you were putting it together at all or, or providing input, or was that logistically too hard? I, wasn't, no. I couldn't tell. What a, what a great question. I'm not sure. I, I was, it seems yeah. like the kind of thing that we would have done. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really specifically remember whether we did. It sounds like the movement I mean, was really strong outside and inside at that point, so... Regardless, it seems like you were in, people around you were in touch with folks. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we were in touch with people who'd come out, and I'm sure there were people reading it. So how is it, how is it, how do you guys use it now? So the first version that I was involved uh, in with Rachel um, came out in 2003. And we had put it together without much of a distribution plan. And there was a moment when I worked at the Lawyers Guild uh, National Office for about six or seven years in the 2000s. And we were literally photocopying the entire thing really? wow. and sending it to, to people who, whether they requested specifically or they requested assistance with prison conditions and, and, and interest in filing lawsuits, we would send, um, send them the, ma the manual. But that became kind of a, a burdenous process. And so the Guild and CCR invested in putting together kind of a more a newspaper-bound, staple-bound version. And um, and then in 2006, I think, I, I started a volunteer program and had weekly volunteer nights where we would sit around and send out the handbook. And oh, that, great. yeah, those volunteer nights lasted until just a couple of years ago with COVID. And now I think we're going to use a, a printing house. As we get these letters, I mean, we, there are literally a hundred letters at each organization that come in every week. Really? People requesting the handbook, yeah. You're kidding me. We send out, we probably send out at least 5,000 copies a year, probably more. We, we order them in batches of about 8,000 and over the years, and we go through, that lasts us about a year, year to a year and a half, somewhere in there. But we've sent out tens of thousands of handbooks in the last 15 years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You started something. Yeah, I did. And there's a new one coming. This podcast is time to the release, I see, yeah. of, the, of the new edition. Yeah. And we have a new website where um, families and friends of, with people inside can download and, and print it out. And depending on where they are, you know, send par parts or all of it to, to people as well. So, God, there could be like 100,000 out there or something. Something close to that. Something close to that. Definitely tens of thousands out there, you know, and, and at a couple of these volunteer nights, because I would advertise for the, the volunteers on idealist.org and we ran it out the both the guild office and the CCR's office in New York. A couple of times people would show up to volunteer who had been inside and used the handbook. And so it was really amazing oh, to wonderful. hear one man came came by for a few volunteer sessions and said that he had he had, in his three years upstate New York, he had gotten about three or four different copies. And whenever he would get transferred, he would pass it off to someone 
right. the, the prison that he was in. And then when he got to his, the new prison, he would ask for a new one, get a new one. So it really has been a resource. And, you know, yeah. And people presumably share it. So that yeah. it's, it's reaching, it's a resource for a lot more people than the number of copies, which is just... Yeah. Which is really I am great. so, so pleased that it took off like this. And yeah. thank you so much for carrying it. Oh, no, it's, it's been probably my, my most favorite thing that I've done in the last 20 wow. years. I, I really think really? it. Is this such a great resource? It goes back to what you said originally that, you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I'm a, I'm a legal worker. I've just worked with lawyers for a long time and kind of that translating or use you know talking about the law and these legal things in non-legal terms and kind of you know getting that that kind of information and um into the hands of folks who didn't necessarily have the privilege of going to law school or didn't want to or just you know whatever it may be you know which is i think fundamentally jailhouse lawyers are you know they're self-taught litigators and of course Absolutely. We just wanted to provide or update this great tool that you put together and, and provide it to, to them. Oh, yeah. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'm really happy to. I'm sorry I don't have more that I don't remember more. You know, it, it was definitely something that grew from and fed into a movement. Yeah, this latest edition, the cover is uh, art is designed by someone who's who's currently inside, and the um, the whole handbook was reviewed uh, by someone a jailhouse lawyer who's recently uh, gotten out. And we over the years we get letters from folks inside with little corrections or little wow. ideas, and so we add those, you know, and that's and, so great. And so it's really great. Yeah, it really is. We try to keep it as organic as as possible. So I'll send you a copy for sure. Well, yeah. thank you, and yeah, yeah, it's great to know you and connect with you and put a face to the name. And yeah, no, it's really great to yeah. it's really great to meet you after all this, after seeing your name on these handbooks and everything for so long. Well, it's very exciting. Yeah, thank you, no. for, you for for wrapping me back into this. <laughs> thank you so much for making time. Our next guests are Lisa Drapkin from the National Lawyers Guild. Lisa is the membership director at the Guild's national office and has been for the last six years and is also a longtime volunteer and administrator of the Prison Legal Project. Joining Lisa on this podcast is Jennifer Jones Benino, who is lead counsel of the Jailhouse Lawyers Speaks International Law Project. Jennifer is a member and co-lead of the National Lawyers Guild Mass Incarceration Committee prisoners' rights section, and is a civil rights attorney primarily litigating impact cases related to prisoners' rights, and has successfully challenged practices related to mass incarceration, particularly with respect to medical treatment. Jennifer is also a law instructor in a diversity, equity, and inclusion law school professional. She now advances initiatives the first of their kind aimed to catalyze increased recruitment of formerly incarcerated persons and LGBTQI plus students of color to law school. Jennifer has been published in both domestic and international publications. She is a member of the Executive Committee for the American Association of Law Schools, Balance Section and Scholarship Committee, and serves on the Board of Directors for the Blue Bench of Colorado and is active with her family in the community. Thank you guys both for being with us today on this podcast. We really appreciate it. I wanted to start with a question for Jennifer. I really would uh, love to know more about Jay Hustler's Speak uh, and what your role is with that organization, um, along with other prison-related advocacy that you've been working on. And thank you for having me on. Jailhouse Lawyers Speak is a self-organized collection of anonymous incarcerated activists throughout the United States. And the overarching goal that they have is to abolish 
prisons in the United States. So I work with the Jailhouse Lawyers Speak International Law Project. And as you said, I am the lead counsel for that. But what's unique about that is that it's a prisoner-led project. So we work hand-in-hand with JLS um, to advance the goals that we have. Um, This year, we are submitting a request to the Organization of American States to challenge medical conditions in prisons, prison labor as a form of slavery, and solitary confinement. Um, And in the words of JLS, They fight to end legalized enslavement because it's wrong. It promotes prisons. It demands profits off of the convicted and it violates human rights. So um, that's my work. That's pretty much representative of the work. That's really great and really important work. And so jailhouse lawyers have kind of constant input into how that is led and and moves forward? Absolutely. I think it's key that um, affected populations actually lead the movement, Um, movement ideas, um, movement efforts, um, like the shut them downs that are happening from the 21st of August to to September 9th. Yeah, can you speak a little more on that? Sure. There's some demonstrations happening outside of prisons this year called the shut them down demonstrations. And that is happening this month and next. Um, And it represents a key period for JLS in terms of advocacy. And it's based on several demands, including some of those that I just mentioned, the end to prison slavery, um, the closer of a majority of jails and prisons in every state, immediately closing down all private prisons and freeing all political prisoners in the United States. So listeners, definitely put that on your calendar. Um, Really, really important. How has the the National Lawyers Guild been working with uh, Jailhouse Lawyers Speaks on prison issues or or jailhouse lawyer issues? Um, We provide outside supports to JLS's network with respect to the Jailhouse Lawyers Speak International Law Project. So we try and get a sense of the issues that are going on, the ongoing issues. And that became very relevant during COVID-19, actually, with what was happening in the prisons. I think everyone is very well aware of the abuses and the neglect. To speak of medical neglect, that is completely uh, encapsulated by prisons of response to COVID-19. So those are the sorts of things that we do while we have the central mission of challenging the practices and raising awareness on an international level. We do provide support because as a role as lawyers, I work with Audrey Bones. We think it's very important to do so and almost neglectful not to do it. So in, in terms of supporting jailhouse lawyers, um, I know that jailhouse lawyers have been able to be members of the National Lawyers Guild for for a number of decades, doing their work from inside and getting membership uh, with a national legal organization. I know it's been really important for them. I wonder if, Lisa, you can speak about some of the work that you've been doing over the last several years to kind of outreach and involve them more um, with the NLG. Um, Yes. Currently, we have a few thousands members that we consider jailhouse lawyer members and it used to be a program that people had to pay a, a small fee for but now it now it's completely free so 
basically people just have to write us and say they want to be a member of the National Lawyers Guild and we'll add them in as a member. So there's no real barriers or anything. What being a member of the guild means is people receive our publication, which is called Guild Notes. And in that we try to, it's basically a publication that's talking about the work of NLG on the outside. We try to encourage our members to write articles or submissions that will be of interest to people on the inside. And so we also open that up sometimes to outside organizations that just want to get their some news piece out to a lot of incarcerated people inside. And inside of Guild Notes, too, is a section called Beyond Bars, which our uh, communications director, Tasha Moreau, uh, had, had started. And that is basically pieces, uh, articles, um, submissions of drawings or writing that people on the inside um, submit. And then it's shared with the thousands of other incarcerated people that receive it. So I think that overall, it's, I mean, at first, to tell you the truth, I didn't even I didn't think it was that valuable for people, but we do over the years have gotten like, like we'll get letters being like, Hey, like I haven't gotten gill notes in a while for, for, you know, for some mail thing or like a bunch of things like that. So I think people really do appreciate just having that small piece of connection on the outside. And then we also just like make sure in regard to the handbook that people know about the handbook that people are able prison chapter, which uh, in, a member in one of the Texas prisons uh, had started. And there's just about like, I don't know, maybe 20 or so people in his unit that have all signed up to be members. And they're, they basically just like make their own sorts of like projects and write in to give us updates and stuff like that. It's really important. I mean, there's really, I don't know a lot of other legal organizations, especially national ones that interface and connect with with jailhouse lawyers and offer membership in that way. So really great work. There's any other things that you want to make people aware of, Jennifer or Lisa? Um, I think in close, well, first, we'd like to congratulate you on the new copy and thanks for all that you've done in support of jailhouse lawyers. One of the things that I'd encourage people to do is to visit the Jailhouse Lawyer Speak website that they have. Um, one functional, they have a couple of websites, but one really functional one is imweubuntu.com, and they can be contacted at outthemudjls, outthemud.jls at protonmail.com, and then to get involved in our project that is, I believe, on both of those websites, a way to contact us as well in terms of the uh, International Law Project. Again, I want to thank both Lisa and Jennifer for coming on. Uh, We really appreciate it and uh, look forward to doing more work with you both in the future. Thanks so much, Anne. Thank you. Joining us next is my colleague at the Center for Constitutional Rights, Senior Staff Attorney and Jailhouse Lawyer Handbook Co-Editor, Chinyere Azie. Thank you for joining. Hi, glad to be with you. 
So thanks for, so much for joining us, Janieri. Um I was hoping you could talk about the new pieces of the um, latest Jay Hustler Handbook Edition, which I know you spent a lot of time working on. Yes, thank you. I was part of an incredible team that worked on these revisions that come, um, if I'm not mistaken, about 10 years after our last publication of the Jay Hustler's Handbook or JLH. And for this year's edition, the sixth edition of the handbook, we have a very um, detailed section about the rights of LGBTQIA prisoners, which is to say lesbian, gay, bisexual, intersex, and asexual folks. And um, while that's been a feature of the handbook in recent years, we really um, took time to add developments in case law, some of which um, we're proud to be able to say we achieved our own um, litigation and advocacy, but that includes um, changes to the way that prisons approach access to transgender healthcare and gender-related healthcare, developments related to visitation, updates about the equal protection jurisprudence that applies in the, in the prison and jail setting with respect to trans and gender nonconforming individuals who um, feel they're being discriminated against or treated dis- differently on that basis. And so it's a really exciting section for members of that community that is chock full of information that um, should really help people on the inside who are trying to navigate their own pro se litigation. So that's the first change that I'm really excited to share and uplift. Of course, we've also updated all the other sections of the handbook to include the latest in legal developments, case law updates. So where there have been new Supreme Court decisions or important appellate cases that have made pronouncements about the rights of people on the inside, we've included those cases as well, whether it relates to your rights to resist searches or um, your rights to due process or folks' rights to be free from um, you know, cruel and unusual punishment, which can take the form of, of health care and medical neglect or actual um, use of force and, and violence by staff or by inmates. We've taken care to really update all those sections. And then finally, you know, something I'm really excited about is we introduced an appendix that covers policies that apply state by state. And while we don't have all 50 states represented yet, we have done our best to compile for a handful of representative states information about the grievance process, which, as you may know, is, is something that um, incarcerated folks have to navigate when asserting constitutional or statutory claims under the Prison Litigation Reform Act, or PLRA. So it gives up-to-date guidance about the grievance procedures that apply to, to different prison settings. Um, we have information about policies related to TGNC people that have been promulgated at the prison level uh, in different states. For instance, um, California just introduced a new policy that allows transgender people to be housed in accordance with their gender identity, kind of as a default position. And so, you know, we have updates about some of those state level developments. And then also an updated resource page. So it's more easy than ever to connect with other types of um, legal support, other types of um, free literature and resources that help people who are incarcerated. So we're really trying to make sure that our readers have as many resources at their fingertips as possible going forward so they can get the support they need when they're um, challenging um, abuses in, on the inside. Thank you so much for that. It is really exciting. And I, I have to say that having worked on the, the handbook for the last almost 20 years, watching um, it grow into such an amazing resource and keep keep growing is, has been incredible. So thank you for all your work on, on this handbook. And, and I know also that there's 
um, a new website where family and friends can download the handbook. Yes, um, our website revamp is another real achievement of this 2021 rewrite of the handbook. We have a brand new website at jailhouselaw.org that is incredibly interactive. So you can um, engage with the website via topic. You could, if you would like, read the jailhouse handbook in digital format from cover to cover. You can request a copy of the entire handbook for a loved one on the inside. You can print out um, sections of the handbook yourself um, at home for either your own review or to send on to an incarcerated loved one. So we really tried to emphasize accessibility here and to make sure that you're able to access both the, the text of the JLH, but also content like the cases that we cite, et cetera, in a really easy to use format. So I'm really hoping that um, just like the JLH, it will become a resource that's used by um, you know, folks who are um, incarcerated and their, and their loved ones um, year after year for years to come. Thank you so much for all your work on the handbook. Mia Boujamal is an award-winning broadcast journalist, work, uh, essayist, general, and author of 12 books. Inside. Most and thank you. And um, trilogy, to all of our listeners, please promote the JLH. It's free. Coming it's out available to everyone. To We're really of Empire it is America's favorite pastime. Currently, he's serving life without parole at a correctional institution in Pennsylvania. His 1982 trial and conviction have been criticized as unconstitutionally corrupt by legal and activist groups for decades including Amnesty International and Nobel laureates Nelson Mandela, Toni Morrison, and Desmond Tutu, and he has been made an honorary citizen of Paris, France. This message was taped for Prison Radio, and you can visit Prison Radio at prisonradio.org, and we really appreciate Mumia recording this message in regards to jailhouse lawyers and the jailhouse lawyer handbook. Of jailhouse lawyers. To be a jailhouse lawyer is to be, above all, a prisoner, and as such, among the most despised of men and women in the nation. Jailhouse lawyer was similarly a term of derision, a joke, a mockery, until, that is, they began to win. Early in this era of mass incarceration, around the 80s, a guy named Hiram filed suit against the prison at Huntington, Pennsylvania because of their practice of giving guys yard that literally lasted as long as it took to smoke a cigarette or about five to seven minutes long. Hiram read old statutes in dusty law books and filed suit in state court and won an order that forced officials to give at least an hour a day, five days a week in the yard. It was a revelation. And the change from six minutes every other day to 60 minutes a day could not be more dramatic. Hiram wasn't a joke. He represented the rare power of intelligence against state repression. I've studied and written about jailhouse lawyers for years. Few have been as impressive as Richard Mayberry of Pennsylvania. He has spent decades in prison, yes, but he has also cut decades off of sentences, his and his clients. Once, after a series of verbal jousts with a state court judge, he was sentenced to 11 and a half to 22 years for contempt of court. Mayberry launched an appeal that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and won. 
in its 1971 opinion, Mayberry versus Pennsylvania, the court, in reversing Mayberry's conviction, issued a new rule forbidding courts from sentencing defendants who had performed contempt before them. New, presumably unbiased judges had to be appointed to avoid the taint of judicial bias. Mayberry detests the term jailhouse lawyer and rarely uses it. He uses the law by necessity to get closer to home, to push back against state repression, and sometimes to make positive change. There's another kind of jailhouse lawyer that rarely is referenced by that term because he skips by the jailhouse. I refer here to the late Dr. Huey P. Newton, one of the co-founders of the Black Panther Party in Oakland, California in 1966. Newton, before he helped form the party, was a deep student of the law, not to practice it as a lawyer, but to break it and get away with it. He writes the following in his first book, Revolutionary Suicide, published in 1973. I first studied law to become a better burglar, figuring I might get busted at any time and wanting to be ready when it happened. I bought some books on criminal law and burglary and felonies and looked up things, everything possible. I tried to find out what kind of evidence they needed, what things were actually considered violations of the law, what the loopholes were and what you could do to avoid being charged at all. They had a law for everything. I studied the California Penal Code and books like California Criminal Evidence and California Criminal Law by Frick and Alarcon, concentrating on those areas that were somewhat vague. The California Penal Code says that any law which is vague to the ordinary citizen, the average reasonable man, who lives in California and who is exposed to the state's rules, regulations, and culture doesn't qualify as a statute. Dr. Newton added, my studying helped because every time I got arrested, I was released with no charges. Huey P. Newton from the Huey P. Newton Reader, page 25. To be sure, Dr. Newton describes how he avoided the jailhouse, but he utilized the law as a true jailhouse lawyer would for liberation. In this era of mass incarceration, it is important to know that there are not enough lawyers in the country to help the millions who are held in the iron houses we call prisons. There are not enough lawyers to try the cases of the accused, not to mention the cost of hiring a lawyer. Prisons are the preserves of the poor and most prisoners can't begin to afford real legal help. So, in the bleakest of circumstances, most people are forced to turn to a jailhouse lawyer and hope, just hope, that they won't get burned. Or do as Huey did, self-study, to look for cracks in the walls of repression. Now, I don't think it's fair to ask you to read what Huey read way back then. But you should read the Jailhouse Lawyer Handbook, which shows you how to prepare your legal papers, even providing forms so that you can do it the right way. Keep on struggling. From Imprison Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Imprison Radio. 
hope you enjoyed this episode of The Activist Files, the Center for Constitutional Rights podcast. Just a reminder to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And if you want to find out more about our work, visit our website at ccrjustice.org. That's all until next time on The Activist Files.